there's a lot of Jedi Jedi uh, artifacts and stuff that he has. Like how, how do you know Jedi artifacts? How does anyone know Jedi artifacts? From people are nerds, Brendan. It's a thing. <laughs> people are there's nerds. A mask. There's like a Jedi. When you are nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's just the bug finally got me. Yeah, the uh, bug so, finally got me. So this was me. your first time. Yeah, you, you never forget your first, Chad. <laughs> um, but I kicked its ass. I, the thing I should say, and I want the people to hear this, so include this. This is a statement I need to make for all of our listeners. You've known me a long time, Chad. Right, a long, long time. Have you ever known me to take Dookie from anybody? Mm-mm. I don't take Dookie. No. Even if it's presented very nicely and they're like, would you care for some Dookie, sir? I, I'm i very polite myself. So I say, no, thank you. I'm good on Dookie. <laughs> so COVID came along and it was like, would you care for some Dookie? <laughs> this time I wasn't as nice. I smacked it out of their hands. I said, no Dookie. So that was my uh, COVID experience is me basically saying no dookie. Um, <laughs> there was, there was an intense couple of days where I was taking some dookie and then I said no more. Uh, and I'm, I credit, and I think you'll appreciate this. I credit science. Science helped me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was vaccinated and boosted, which I know yeah. has to have greatly reduced yes. the time I would have had anyway, and the yeah. experience because our good friend Jerry caught it pre vaccinations and all that stuff. So that poor bastard, he really went through it. Um, yeah. And I feel guilty almost that I had COVID for a week. So I credit science with the vaccinations and, of course, the antivirals, the Paxlovid, man. It, I, it's still free, though I, of course, had to pay for a clinic visit. But it's, And then, you know, it just like a couple of days. And cool. I, I feel like I just got over a cold right now. So, wow. again, that's pretty impressive. Yay, science. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't take no dookie. I said, no, no, thank you. That's good. Yeah, I, I like Jerry. I got it once before... The- Oh, you did? Vaccines, yeah. And it did indeed suck. How long did this go? About three weeks. Shit. Um, and it was the, the worst part of it in the long term was this fever that it wasn't even that bad of a fever. It was like low, I mean, technically it was like a low grade fever, but it made me feel awful. Yeah. And it of just course. would not go away. I would get it to go away for brief periods of time. Like I'd take Tylenol and I would feel all right for a few hours, but then it would always come back. Yeah. Did your symptoms kind of do a. Yeah, very much yeah. so, yeah. Even in my short period, it was exactly the same because day two was day one was awful. Uh, was literally the, the fever, the aches. I was just like, what the, it was like a truck hit me. Mm -hmm. Uh, day two was me being kind of cocky going, Oh, you know that the fever is gone and the aches are, you know, it's no big deal. A little Tylenol. I'm all right. Um, a little coughing. I'm fine. And then day three, I was like, Oh, I can't taste or smell anything. And the fever's back. I hate my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I became very briefly, uh, James Vanderbeek from varsity blues. And I said, I don't want your life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I, that quote is just infamous just because, fine young actor of the day and certainly Dawson's Creek was at the top but him playing a Texan and then him delivering that line of dialogue I don't want your life <laughs> hilarious 
So it was right there with me denying the dookie. Um, so I just was like, that's when I said, I, I got to do the, the clinic. I got to get some kind like, of stuff. I'm glad because you did I, that, yeah. yeah. Did you have the loss of taste and smell? Only well, I've had it twice. The first time it surprised oh. me. No, all as bad as it was overall. I didn't experience that the first time I had it again this past summer. This is obviously with the vaccine and two boosters. Jeez. This time it was it was like it sucked like the first day or two, and then it it only lasted. Oops, sorry, it only lasted about four days. I think. Oh, that's good. The second time, but I did lose my sense of taste partially the second time, um, and it I, was I, I didn't really notice it until it was like just one morning. It was I, I think it was after I it was like the week after I had it. I, I was having my coffee one morning. I was like what the hell's wrong with this thing? Like, <laughs> that's kinda, so weird. It's like, it just had, it tasted like crap. It's like, what, what did I do wrong? You know, did it the I same way. I, I, I heated up something in the microwave and then I was like, when it dinged, it was like, normally I would smell that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then I started eating and going, well, I can tell it's hot. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Just mush. Yeah. So that was not, not fun. Jerry didn't get that uh, for yeah. all the, you know, but I mean the stuff he went through and he still has long COVID. So he, he continues to deal with it. Oh, geez. I, can, I count myself lucky. So yeah, he yeah. gets the brain fog thing, which I, I didn't, which I'm very glad for. Um, it was mainly fatigue and, and the cough. Uh, but I'm used to bronchitis. I get that a lot. This has become old guys talk about their, their illnesses. <laughs> but I mean, COVID actually is so common now. Most of the people listening to this are probably going, yeah, that was my experience. I had it. Yeah. Uh, it's getting rarer and rarer. Was I feeling mm. cocky for a while? Yeah, because I'd gone so long. Everyone in my family had caught it. At, and mm. I was the only one who hadn't. Uh, and then suddenly I'm like, oh, okay. Well, it was just waiting. <laughs> it was just waiting. Yeah. That's all right. But uh, I'm back, and uh, you know, I basically the antivirals got me there. But you know what else helped? Uh, Indiana Jones Five trailer. <laughs> and you hadn't seen it when I sent it to you. Had you no, had you I, I, I wait. Had I? No, I'd seen stills from it, and okay. it was your link was first link. Uh, so when I watched it, it, was like that. That's good. Dial of Destiny. I mean, I have no idea what the story even is. I just, I don't care. It just looks great. Sala narrating it. Are you kidding me? Come on. Yeah. Old yeah. Sala, it's like, don't you miss the adventure? I'm like, yeah, I do, man. And I'm raising my <laughs> hand and I'm in my apartment and was like going, please put your hand down. I'm like, shut up, voices in my head, because <laughs> I love this. And even him looking crazy old, there were a couple of parts where where he's just standing there and I'm like, the stance is still there. It's like, you're an old dude, but that is the body language of Indy. And I was like, cause he's in that white t-shirt and I'm like, that's an 85 year old, man. <laughs> but an 85 year old man, I would not fuck with. Cause that's Indiana motherfucking Jones. Yeah. And I'm sorry for the language. I'm sorry. Yeah. listeners. <laughs> it got me excited. What about you? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. And I, I've, I was t totally caught me by surprise because I didn't, I hadn't, I didn't know if there was any rumors leading up to its release. Well, they had I, done that what, Empire Magazine yeah. spread and that was the most we had seen already of pictures and stuff. I figured a trailer had to be coming soon. Yeah. 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 But it was still a great surprise. I think I sent it to like, like seconds after I watched it, I sent it to Brendan. He's like, yeah. <laughs> it to you. Need, need Check it, it out. <laughs> yeah. What did Brendan say? 
<laughs> Did he like it? Uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was literally kind of balm for the soul. Could it still stink? Sure. I've been fooled by trailers before. I just trust these people. And do I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge? I love her. I love her so much. If we never see her again, like, who knows if her character is going to be amazing and her is the, the protege and maybe they never do spinoffs. I don't care. I just love her and the idea that she will be playing a protege of Indiana Jones. I'm all about. Is she supposed to be like the daughter of Brody in this one? I don't know if she's, I don't, I don't know if there's a relation. They just say that she's like his goddaughter. That does seem like it would be Brody. Right. Yeah. But I don't know if that has been confirmed or not, but I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, I guess Mutt's off doing whatever. (laughs) what's doing yeah so maybe much they for do that. a maybe they do a you know if she does her own series which is smart like let's not it's not her being indie it's just her having adventures in the 60s or actually probably early 70s because this is set in 69 fuck man indiana jones is kicking ass the year i'm born get out right. but anyway so early 70s i'm all about that and then she can have her own world but what if Mutt bumps into her at some point? Like that would be like a side thing or short round now that, you know, it's like yeah. everyone's like, oh, my God, he's still amazing. And he's he's totally game. I bring him in, man. That. Yeah, I would bring him in. So much. But yeah. they got to have they got to bring. I mean, I know Harrison might be done with us. if he keep saying that. But I want to see those two together on the screen, even if it's just one scene. You know, Oh, of course, of course, of course. Because they're, they're well, there may be more movies that aren't focused on indie, but there are, there are, there are rumors now about a Disney plus series. Well, you know, what if, okay. What if that is the route they take, but what if there's one scene where she, in the course of one of her adventures goes to see him and there's already a car in the drive goes in and there's short round sitting with him. I mean, you could do something that easily and, and him going like, I told you about this guy, right? He was a good kid. (laughs) And then that's it. I mean, that's all you need. And whether or not he joins her on adventure, which would be cool. I love the, the type of adventure story that the indie movies are. I love indie specifically, but I love pulp adventure. I have no problem with them as long as it's not like, here's my hat, here's my whip. You're now Indiana Jones. Let yeah. Indiana Jones go the way of his greatness and let him uh, have this twilight of well, we already saw young Indiana Jones Chronicles. We know that he just wanders around town going, Jerry, tell you about the time I met a famous mother. Let him do that. But <laughs> I have no problem with a new character coming in, just like I have no problem with him ever spinning off Bond. If, mm-hmm. if, because when I watched the last Daniel Craig one, I was like, the new 007, that lady is awesome. And also the, what's her name? De Armas. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I can't her, remember her first she was, name. Yeah, was. what her number was, or what her. I, agent no, I don't remember was. what her number was, but but yeah. her scene with him, and she's like this other spy lady, and she's great. Their scene was great. I was like, yeah. I'd watch a movie with her. Yeah. Oh yeah. That whole that whole. I mean, I love the other uh, movie with that 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 Bond. I, what was it called? The last Bond movie? Um, uh, no time to. Is it no time to die? Isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. It, I, I didn't heard. I hadn't heard a lot about it, and it just seemed to kind of come and go without much. Well, it had been fanfare. delayed for so long. That was yeah. one of the big problems. Thanks to COVID, it had literally been on the shelf for like a year and a half by the yeah. time it came out. And of course, I know it. That you know, it ticked people some. Uh, ticked some people off because the ending was was unusually dramatic for a 
for a James well, Bond. Well, they film. they had the balls I, to actually kill the main character off, and say yeah. that this is we just saw Daniel Craig's James Bond and it had an ending. Yeah. First time the Bond series has ever done that. So it's like that's pretty awesome, but yeah. I thought it was great. And I Bond I, uh, is evergreen. You just recast and you keep going. Right. But that those that 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 whole action sequence with Anna uh, Darmus' was character was just it felt so classic Bond that yeah. whole their yeah. chemistry and, too and they had chemistry and there was a little bit of humor in it because she was mm-hmm. good but at the same time there was like the sort of chaotic like whoops uh oh <laughs> yeah and of course her kicking ass in an evening gown where you're like gee I Oof. think it's just Anna de Armas there you go I think it's just Anna but yeah, anyway yeah. I was like yeah this all works. Mm-hmm. So I'm not one of those basement dwellers that sits there going, no, when Harrison Ford stops, Indiana Jones stops. I agree. Indiana Jones stops, but that world can continue. Oh, yeah. There can be all kinds of crazy pulp adventures yeah. with people that knew him, knew of him, were inspired by him, whatever it is. You can keep going. So I'm, and I'm going to bring this up and we, if you don't want to talk about it, I understand because this was, this was an old precious idea of yours, <laughs> which I thought was wonderful at the time. Well, I, I can't remember if you, if you actually wrote the script. Cause I remember we had very, it was one of those ideas you had that we spent oh, oh, my, uh, many, many long conversations at house of eyes. My uh, grandson with, of Indy idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I got, and this for our listeners, I didn't create fan fiction by any means, but Lord knows uh, before that term existed, I was the guy who did waste valuable energy <laughs> writing scripts of things that I knew I had didn't have the rights to that would never happen. Um, I wrote a Green Lantern script, which I still think is better than the thing that ended up on the screen. It is. Like, yeah. like in 1989, like mm-hmm. way before. Well, no, no, probably 90. Uh, but way before the the superhero renaissance thing, the the movies. But anyway, regardless, I did have a, I wrote about eighty pages of almost finished it. Uh, Geronimo Jones and the Unholy Knights. That's right. And that's Geronimo right. Jones was was a very nerdy ish uh, grandson of Indy, uh, and he gets involved with uh, the the Templars. The Knights Templar are now this secret organization in the modern day, which of course was the nineties when I was writing this. And the whole idea was tied into the mystery, actual real life mystery of Renless Chateau in France, which is a very cryptic cathedral with all these hidden messages in it. And so I was basing it on a real thing and, um, and having uh, Indy's grandson be capable like Indy. But uh, in a in a very clumsy way, the idea was that he had trained just as a kid in various things like horseback riding and and even fencing and things like that. But he never was really an active guy and was very bookish and nerdy. And he gets caught up in an adventure and he got his nickname because he studied with Native Americans and they had called him Geronimo as a gag and so that's where his nickname came from he ends up with the hat his grandfather's hat that's one thing that is in common and one of my favorite bits in it uh, was the ending which was after the adventure is over yes. um, <laughs> like a FedEx guy shows up at his, at his apartment Brownstone in New York and is like 
Yeah, they were cleaning out uh, some government warehouses. This was connected to your family name. Uh, so we traced it to you because your grandfather's dead. But d- I don't know. It's yours to keep or not. And they drop off this crate. And he opens it up. It's the Ark, <laughs> and it's the Ark of the Covenant that just yeah. got forgotten about. Uh, and his girlfriend character from throughout the movie goes, what is that? He just turns out and goes, coffee table. And the <laughs> idea would be if there was ever a sequel is that the Ark of the Covenant would be a constant feature of his apartment with a glass top <laughs> that it would actually have then been turned into a coffee table. Uh, I love that idea of like, wow, that is an extremely powerful thing. Yeah, but he is just putting coffee mugs and things. On top. And that's so this bear in mind, people, that this was 1991, 92. Yeah, this is a long time. You came with this before the post credit scene was a thing as it is now. So this, yeah. because it's, I don't know if you intended as literally post credit. Well, no, it's I, essentially it the character. Last the scene of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't, yeah. it wasn't in my head uh, the idea to put a scene somewhere in the credits. That was not even a thing back then. Right. So. But, but it, yeah, I, I did kind of include it like that thing of like, uh, oh, and the and movie would, have been, <laughs> it would not have constantly been dredging up indie stuff. He was having his own adventure. He had his own personality. He was not as cocky. He was a nerd and would trip a lot, but he would always kind of come out on top. The whole idea was just to keep that type of adventure story with its mythic and kind of folkloric background and and pulpy uh but just move it to the present day because i was like there's no reason even if harrison ford's gotten too old that the indiana jones verse has to stop Mm -hmm. i don't believe in recasting because that's just that's that's a gamble and it sometimes pays off still amazed about abram's star trek it's like that actually kind of worked yeah Uh, but and solo I don't put the failure of Solo on the shoulders of that young actor. He did a no. good good enough job. I thought, man, that the deck is stacked against that poor motherfucker. Yeah. But that the was movie a- was entertaining. I mean, I, I found it entertaining. It was okay. I'd watch I, a second one. Yeah, I, I, I was going to bring this up when we were talking about Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Because uh, she did, uh, I forget her character's name, the droid that she plays in that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't um, remember the name of the droid either, but anyway, funny bit. Th- the, the, my only quibbles with that film were, were kind of the same things that I disliked about Rogue One were just the unnecessary fan service that they would go to. There was more of it in Solo than there was in, in there Rogue was. One. There was. I kept going, this can be strong enough on its own. And one of the main things that pissed me off <laughs> in Solo was the idea of the last name. Yes. I was like, yeah. Solo so to us, English. In English, Solo, we know what Solo means. I don't like it meaning the same thing in gobbledygook Star Wars universe language. We're pretending that they're speaking, you know, it's like, but the idea that he's like going solo as in alone, I'm like, no, the best thing about those names is that they don't really literally mean what we're yeah. thinking they mean. And plus in the context of the story too, there was really no thrust for that moment. Cause he, he's not before that going, gee, if only also I had in the last prequels, name. When you have Christopher <laughs> Lee go in and go, I'm count. <laughs> Dooku. <laughs> the thing that Brendan doesn't take. He don't take no Dooku. I, I always uh, think of, of, uh, of uh, Ewan McGregor's line in that when he's he's floating in that, that cell thing. He says, I'll never join you, Dooku. <laughs> Dooku. <laughs> I just, no one, no one had the balls to go up to 
to, to George and go, look, man. Hey, about the name. You're really doing some great world building. There's some great story stuff here. Can we change that name? Yeah. Just that one name. You realize yeah. no kid and most adults will not be able to hear that without giggling. All right? Yeah. That's all I'm saying. And you yeah. have the great Christopher Lee who brings it at age 94 yeah. or whatever. It's yeah. like you don't have him come out there and go, please take seriously my character. Lord Kickapoo. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry, and, uh, I distracted you. We were talking about uh, your your problem with, with the whole with, thing with, with the, the fan service. Uh, <clears throat> what else? I mean, there were, so, some of the stuff was just a little bit too on the nose, too, which oh, was, yeah. was kind of fan service. Like they say, well, because the, the rebel character um, whose like, name I can't remember, that the actress with the freckles, we see her a lot now. And she's, 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 uh, uh, she's, she's really taking uh, off. She's in Willow. I just yeah. watched the first couple of episodes of Willow and really enjoyed but she, it. But she says, uh, you know, so we, we could really use somebody like you. And he's like, nah. So well, maybe, well, maybe someday you'll change your mind. Hint, hint. Like, oh, stop. Maybe someday you'll end up uh, yeah. Yeah. a rebel yeah, it was just a princess. Stuff like that was way too much, but I, I loved um, Lando. Uh, I'm trying oh, to remember man. his name, Donald Glover. Donald Glover was perfectly cast uh, in that role, and I love seeing the earlier version of the Millennium Falcon that just got beat to hell throughout the course I, of the I, film. I mean, the only problem I had with that too was I liked the idea that it got some of the look, some of the damage that we're used to in mm-hmm. that that race, but it looked like literally it was that one. That, that one, one thing. mission, right? It was. I yeah. mean, I like the idea that I, you know, it was a shipping ship. So that middle section that we're always used to not being there was actually like crate was where all purpose. the stuff yeah. gets right. stored, and it breaking off. So we it takes the classic Millennium Falcon shape, perfect. That's all mm-hmm. we need. But yeah. but at the end of it, yeah, it crashes and it's like, man, it's really banged up. Will it never get more dings <laughs> over the next several years? Well, he actually uh, had to fix it up from where it was there because it's basically falling. Like when oh, they that's arrive, true. it's like pretty much it had just the different. Apart. It had the different kind of radar dish or something on top too. Yeah, the square one. I mean, one there are things I really right. liked. I mean, yeah. bottom line, you get to see the beginning of the life debt with Chewie, and I just that's all I, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, why like, I'm there. I like a lot of stuff. I like being, being able to see, you know, seeing Kessel finally. That was fun. Yeah, you of know? course. The spice yeah. mines. I don't want to end up in the spice mines of Kessel. Do you? No. <laughs> they they made it very effectively unappealing. I was like, yeah, yeah. okay. I'd rather be smashed into who knows what. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to do. All this stuff in my brain. It's got to come out. <clears throat> so anyway, yeah. Speak, uh, should, we, should we talk about Wakanda forever first or, or move on what? to Andor? Ah, man, they're both they're both so big. I don't know, man. I mean, we're on a Star Wars thing. Do you want to just uh, wrap up Andor? Yeah, I see Andor. Um, it was great. <laughs> All right, see you next week. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I will say there there's hardly much you can say about it other than I remember when I remember this is only like a couple of weeks ago. I remember in the pre-COVID days yes. when I was young and spry. Uh, and I could taste like the wind. Um, <laughs> I'm back to tasting, by the way. And mm, I had a frozen pizza uh, the other day. I was like, frozen pizza is nothing really to celebrate. But I was like, I've missed you, my old friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but Andor, when it first ended, like I was, I was like, 
immediately online with Jerry and and John, and it was like, did they know they were getting a second season? They have to have, because there's no way you choose to end your series that way unless you mm-hmm. know you're coming back. I'd yeah. be like, no one will ever be happy again because the, all of this is set up for it's a it's a literal tease. It's a cliffhanger. Oh yeah, yeah. And I love that. I love the way they ended it to that moment where you know that that uh, Luthen is not going to kill Andor. But he just gives like a little smile, like uh, "You got me," yeah. and it, then it ends, and we don't see the actual conversation that that follows that, and, and we probably won't. But when we pick up season two, they're probably in the middle of a mission already, yeah. having worked together for a while again. And I, I love that. It's just, it's there's so many. Almost every episode had an ending like that. We're like, and scene, <laughs> like, oh, they're gonna end it. Yep, there it goes. Damn it! But, but you it was so good. Know, you know where it's coming, and I will say. They did a good job. All I mean, I know it's mainly overseen by one guy, but generally speaking, all the writers did a good job of mm-hmm. picking your moment for for the big speeches, the big monologues. Every one of the big monologues, especially over the last few episodes, were so well placed, so well written, all in character. So in other words, it wasn't just we have to put someone saying this in here. All the monologues fit the character that, you know, it's like the the scene where it's like, how much do you have to sacrifice? And then uh, and Saw Guerrero's big monologue. In, uh, oh, and just everyone. And of course, uh, oh, I forgot her name, but Cassian's mom's funeral. Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. Her big monologue. I mean, just chills. And you're like going, you, you're picking all the right places. If it was too much of that. If every episode was like someone's going to come in and talk about what it means to rebel or what it means to comply with and be complicit in an empire, it's like right. yeah, no, 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 no. They picked their moments and they all worked. They knocked yeah. them all out of the park. Plus, every actor in that fucking show, every actor. Stop. Yeah. Jesus. Incredible. That 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 monologue that Luthen gives Stellan Skarsgård's yeah monologue. Uh, that whole scene. To where he's meeting the the ISB operative that he's been working with. Yeah, it's so. And I watched it again because my mom was been watching this as well, and and she had she had missed that scene. I think maybe she got she got distracted by something else. So she had said, "What? So we got to? Oh, you got to see the scene." So we went back and watched that. It was you know at the very end of the episode. So it was the episode where they finally escaped the prison. Right. So I think I think she saw that and thought the episode was over, and she just <laughs> walked away. Surely that's this, it. This, so yeah, and. uh but when I first saw it, I was kind of stunned at how dense and deep that 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 monologue went. And uh, at first, I was thinking, "Oh, this is too much." Like I, th- I thought, I thought it was like this is so wordy. It's almost, it's like Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I share my dreams with ghosts, and yeah. all these a lot of really great lines all packed into this one little speech. And I was like, I don't know. But then when I watched it again, I was like, this is so good. <laughs> This is no. so good. I mean, there's there's a little bit where, especially if you're doing a show with a point, with a message, mm-hmm. just like if you were doing a movie with a message or a play, there you do, you know, as a screenwriter, says me, the balance between being natural and making it sound the way people would normally speak is a constant, that's a goal. But at the same time, Every now and then, and it is all about picking the moment, uh, you sometimes have to underline. And sometimes you really do need to heighten the reality to where someone can suddenly be <clears throat> extremely well-spoken to a maybe unrealistic degree. 
almost poetic because what you're trying to do is like without necessarily having someone walk into a spotlight it's like in charlie brown christmas like i think i do charlie brown and then you do a whole little monologue right there with a blue spot but the thing (laughs) is that it is a thing where you are trying to elevate a scene and give the character that that spotlight scene and if it works you get something like this that doesn't feel unnatural but it is a showcase and it almost is like Stellan, you're good in everything you've ever been in. You, you have been. So here's your Emmy. It's like, I'm giving you your Emmy scene. And he's like, okay, great. I'll do, mm-hmm. I'll do fine by it. And it happens in every really good show. You watch succession and then you like go, this is a really well-written show. And then you'll get to a scene. You're like going, God, that was just the writers going, here you are served up on a platter here is your emmy it's like yeah. i'm just giving you your scene <laughs> um and that sounds coldly manipulative but it's just so well done in andor and mm. the fact that you're getting writing of that quality in a star wars show yeah yeah and i don't degrade something by saying it's a star wars show but you rarely see genre of any kind try to because even game of thrones which had a lot of critical acclaim it had some really great dialogue but it never really tried to go for Shakespeare. It never really tried to go for like here is occasionally they would give Tyrion something amazing to say. And you're like, ah, that's going on a t-shirt. But uh <laughs> most of the time it was just uh brutal or ruthless kind of dialogue. That that was poetry, man. I loved it. Yeah. And yeah. and the end of the fucking series did you see that the, I, I saw one critic who actually said the final button scene of Andor season one ruined the entire premise of the whole series. And I read this thing, I don't know, AV club maybe, or something like that. But I was like, or blender. I was like, you guys are idiots. Did you they not, were basically were you- saying that the series was, was trying to establish itself away from classic star Wars iconography that it's happening while all that stuff is going on, but it's separate. And I'm like going, no, man, it is the perfect bleak irony that the stuff they were working on, they were building that thing. And that thing is still scenes like that. Actually, I think boost what we think of as like the death star, because it's just saying like, uh, the empire is going to this level of creating a thing that will destroy worlds. (laughs) And that is how they will keep their iron grip, which makes what Luke and Han and everybody else and Rogue Squadron, it makes what they did that much more heroic and necessary. That yeah. wasn't just one thing the Empire was doing. All the pieces of the Empire, even those people in the prison, were necessary to build this big-ass gun. Yeah. And someone had to come along and break the gun apart. And it... I- I've been watching it. There's another uh, YouTuber I watch who's been breaking down this absolutely loves the series and has been highlighting just the brilliant way that the show has been addressing the issue of fascism and how fascism works and what fascism is uh, really. And that how well the series dovetails, not only into rogue one, but the original series. And we've got that or the original myth film where we've got that scene where Tarkin saying, you know, fear, Fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear of this battle station. Like that's exactly what they're doing that's because exactly of the reasons is. they lie they lay it out. Like it's it's and also when you're in the that, yeah. When you're in the upper society like Mon Mothma, they're also showing that it fear is for the 
yeah, the lesser. The people who are high up, it's about comfort. And that's mm-hmm. always been the thing about it doesn't even matter if it's fascist or whatever it is. It's like if you keep the one percenters comfortable, then they won't they won't stir the water. And that's yeah. what makes what she's doing that much more heroic yeah. It's like her husband and all the other like diplomatic rich folk are able to sit back and just go da da da. And the Senate is like, no, what the Empire says is good because I'm still paid and everything is comfy cozy. And her sacrifice of like selling off her daughter. I mean, this oh. show where it goes to sacrifice, it's all about what are you willing to give yeah. so that people survive or or able to overthrow um, yeah. the empire. It's grim, and it makes her yeah. that much more heroic. Well, I think things are going to get much worse for her. Uh, we, we, uh, We've seen the haircut she ends up with. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> way I mentioned it in the last show that – the, the 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 Mon Mothma that we that we see in Return of the Jedi is she's damaged. You know, you can kind of and this is this is kind of you know retroactively looking at it, but that is kind of the way the character is portrayed. She's like, okay. <laughs> well, now we she do, she's definitely. You know? uh, I mean, when you see the rebellion, um, obviously Leia continues to be. I mean, she's such a firebrand, and so she's got so much energy and life in her. But the old folks of the rebellion, and I don't know all their names. It's like Mon Motha, I barely knew when I was a kid, and I'm like, okay. And then yeah. I love the fact that they found someone who looked so much like that actress, and she was good, and now she's mm-hmm. got this great part. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the whole thing is, um, they are tentative generals, and they're like, we will take the stab. They're being very tentative about it and it has to be this brave heroic breakthrough because i think even the rebellion once they come together they're so fragile that they seem almost afraid to do anything and my mouth is my like okay well um we did get those plans and a lot of bothans died for them so uh um good luck on destroying the second death star oh shit you know what's oh, funny about shit. that scene too i went and watched that after we were talking about it last time i haven't watched jedi in so long and I remember, I remembered watching this movie with, I think it was Dwight and Paul and Nathan, Nathan might've been there. And those I, were the I days. Them, I remember them joking about the way that Mon Moth is awkwardly staring at Admiral Akbar after, after <laughs> he starts. And she really is the whole time that Akbar is talking, she's kind of looking at him, looking at him like, <laughs> why am I talking to a fish it's, man? It's, it's very strange. Um, Do you need something to clear out your throat? No, oh, why'd you ask? <laughs> <laughs> everything is fine <laughs> but what this makes me think and i know this is they got to do season two of this first but the thing that makes me excited about the character of mon mothma now is that she's the one character in this cast of characters that we know survives yeah not only until rogue one and star wars and return of the jedi but through that, that period of time between jedi and force awakens She's yeah. still there. And uh, so they could continue. And I really want them to do this. I hope that they do this. I want to see the story where those Bothans die. You know, I want to, I want them to follow the story of the rebellion through to pick it up right after a new hope, see how they escape. Yavin four in yeah. the nick of time. And Luke and Han can be, they can be, you know, background characters who maybe show up in CG occasionally, yeah. but they're not, they're not main characters. And uh, just follow Mon Mothma's character. Let her be the, Keep her the centerpiece of the story. I, that would be great. I, please do that. Yeah. And keep Tony Gilroy there for love Well, the of thing God. is they also, of course, you know, I, we talked about this. I never really read the novels or anything. Um, I, I did read one of the ones I read was The Courtship of Princess Leia uh, mm. because that is another 
that's another important thing we never really see or never really saw is because it's all happening in the background, their flirtation and da 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 them becoming an actual couple, them becoming a married couple. It's like, we don't see any of that. And I know that of course that makes it hard because uh, one actor is extremely old and the other one, unfortunately is dead now. And so that would have to be a recasting or CG or something. But I just, there are all kinds of little behind the scenes things. And I do know that the world at large that likes to mock any kind of fandom, they're like going, do you need to see every second that happened? Do you need to see every second? Do you need to see when Luke was like, you know what? Black looks good on me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got a writer or a showrunner, I should say as good as Tony Goroy looking over I, I, I don't mind taking side routes because in other words, like you're saying, there are characters because it's such a wide universe. You can follow side characters like Mon Mothma or, or, you know, in the case of sadly, we will lose Cassian Andor before we even get to the classic trilogy. But um, the thing is you can follow those characters and we can see through hints and through other mentions what's going on all around. But there is a big story that goes beyond what the Skywalker clan was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Skywalker clan, I would love to hear them spoken about. Like, I know we're not at that point, but I would love to see something that is set between classic trilogy and Force Awakens, where it's like, how does the legend grow? You know, it's like, ah, I mm-hmm. mean, we do get that bit. And I know that no one really likes uh, Rise of Skywalker, but just the idea that when Ray shows up on Tatooine, that someone goes, oh, yeah, that's where he grew up. I'm like, I do like that. That like mm-hmm. at this point, he's a legend. At this point, the the story of Han, Leia, Luke, Obi Wan, it is now the thing that gets carried down in oral tradition. I love it. Yeah, yeah. That was one of my favorite there were a lot of things I loved about Force Awakens, but that scene where they they encounter Han and Chewie and the Falcon and uh and they're they're arguing over who Han is, like, no, he was a war hero. No, no, he's a smuggler. <laughs> and and he, and I, I think uh, Finn turns to Chewie and goes, right? And Chewie goes, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just shrugs like I don't care. He's like, dude, whatever. <laughs> it was a great there were a lot of great moments like that. That that was and just like with the uh, to kind of sidetrack a little bit, you're talking about JJ uh, Abrams, JJ's uh, Star Trek. That was the reason why, and it was the strength of Force Awakens that he he was so good at chemistry, and that that was the thing that we were we were desperately <laughs> lacking at that point at that time in the Star Wars films was chemistry. It's true. And we got it in Force Awakens. That was the best thing about the film was the, the even even the, the little bit that would spark and it was small between Obi-Wan and Anakin or even less, you know, Anakin and Padme or Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Th- th- it was it was weirdly stilted. And I yes. do blame the fact that George Lucas does not direct actors well. Mm mm. That's the only way that someone as good as Natalie Portman and who can deny she's an amazing actor. She's just great. She comes off terribly in those movies, generally speaking, because I think she needs a director. She needed yeah. someone to say, hey, let's talk about this instead of her just like going, do yeah. I just 
play this cardboard cutout princess? Okay, I'll do that right. if that's what you want, George. Yeah, yeah, Sam Jackson too. He had a really awkward performance in those films, unfortunately. Which- yeah, um, really, the person who comes off the best is uh, is is uh, oh Ian, what's his name? Ian. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yes, McDermott. Yeah, uh, that guy. He Indeed. just knew. He knew yeah. from the drop how to do both, uh, you know, Palpatine and Sidious. And you're just like, going, God damn, that guy's amazing. Those seasoned actors, yeah. Uh, McDermott and, and Liam, of course. Um, Liam Neeson does. No, you can call him Liam because I know you guys are tight. I was trying to remember. <laughs> I was trying to make sure I got his name right. No, um, he... Yeah, his that was one of the one of the best things about the very first film was his performance. You know, he he managed to bring it a weight and uh, yeah, gravitas that the script didn't, really wasn't there in this in this way the story was written. The I I've, I off, I'm not I'm a very weak defender of the prequels, but the only thing I will say is the story is fine. The story yes. that George has come up with is very good. Yeah, he needed someone to tell him where he went wrong in the writing. He mm-hmm. needed a Lawrence Kasdan mm-hmm. and he needed to hand off the directorial. I mean, it's to see yeah. if he wants to be visual director because he's got such the eye for it. And I still think I love the designs. People are like going, that doesn't look like star Wars. I'm like, the whole thing is star Wars is a huge motherfucking galaxy. And this is the pre times. I love the flash Gordon, shiny ships and all the pretty Naboo and all that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. because yeah. it's different worlds. I'm all for it. Yeah. And we see that the Empire, and that's something that even comes up in Andor, because Gilroy's like tying together all these little bits. He has them go like, this stuff all looks like shit now that the Empire came around. Like he's had characters say, so like, I remember yeah. just 20 years ago, 20 mm-hmm. years ago, ships weren't nicer and cleaner. Oh, God. And this, this brings me to, to the thing I wanted, one of the things I want to talk about was just oh, yeah. how wonderful the, the set design and the, uh, oh, the way everything's done. It's with such respect loving care to how the original films were yep not trying to update things you know they didn't do like there's still flip switches flip switches and big buttons flip switches and big buttons it's still they didn't really stray too far from 1977 and that was so essential to get that right and to be fair with star trek next generation that's 100 years in the future so they were able to kind of play with that and even when they they do go back to the original ships they still look the same (laughs) you know the original bridge they don't I mean, that's the thing is like when you went to Enterprise and all like oh, they did a lot of prequel things that's, that's, and yeah. you're going like, oh, how does a proto ship that will end up being the Enterprise look so much more futuristic because mm-hmm. they didn't downgrade the tech enough or make it look clunky as it should. Yeah, have yeah. Well there, well, there was and I'm getting sidetracked here, but that scene, that episode <laughs> where Scotty shows up, which is one of the best next generation oh, yeah, yeah. throwback episodes. Where he he he's been drinking in on a, a ten forward. He has a bottle of brandy in his in his hands. He goes up drunkenly, goes up to the <laughs> to the uh, the the holodeck console, and he's arguing with the computer. It's like, no, show me, you know, NC seventeen oh one, no bloody B C or D, and he, and he walks on, and it's the perfect recreation of the original bridge from the original series. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, sound yeah, effects yeah. and everything, and and. Picard joins him, joins him in there and they have a conversation. That was beautiful. And then there was also the throwback episode of Deep Space, Deep Space Nine. Where, where they, they went back themselves. to Trouble, from tr- trouble Troubles. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. A- along with the best throwaway Star Trek reference ever, which is like, uh, um, those are Klingons? <laughs> yeah. yes, goes, I love Why that. Why do they look different? He goes, we do not speak oh. of that to outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great. That was so well done. 
Um, but yeah, and 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 in Andor, I I just love that, and I've I've had a lot of fun thinking about this, and the the fact that which it's says a huge, lot about you. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're here, after all. It is um, true. There was clearly a lot of thought put into uh, the set design uh, mm-hmm. with regards to that, and I've often thought about like okay, you've got this massive galaxy that is you know thousands of years old and how do you reconcile the fact that we've got you know hyperspace technology but they're still carrying around tablets that are thicker than my laptop you know yeah to read and they're they're look have these huge binocular devices that yeah. you know what i mean and microphones that are way bigger than they need to be with current technology that we have and this this brings me to one of the one of the things about rebels that I thought was the goofiest idea one of the goofiest ideas that Filoni has ever come up with. Um, I'm trying to remember what they're called now. The Pergils, those hyperspace whales that oh right play, that play a big part in the finale of the series. Goofy idea on the surface of it, but they you know they established that basically hyperspace technology was copied from these creatures. That's where humans or where where intelligent life in the galaxy acquired this technology was by sort of, I guess, reverse engineering how these whales worked. And that kind of makes sense. If you think about it, you take, you take a technological society that's a little less advanced than we are. And all of a sudden you, you give them hyperspace it. tech. Yeah, yeah. You jump it to that. Then everything you else is still catching ghost. up. Right. Yeah. But the hologram stuff they have works better than our stuff. You know, people pop yeah. up on your desk the, and they're like, they're going, like, help me, Brendan Jones. You're, Oh wait, no, sorry. I, you know, I've thought of somebody else who could help me better. But what seems Thank this got to go? <laughs> this is the this is the thing that a very nerdy person would would say, like myself, that they don't have <laughs> microchip technology. They, their their microchips got oh. to a certain size, and then they just stopped. And because of the the way the physics works in this galaxy, they were never able to get things down. That to does that does make size. sense. I yeah. love that idea. At the same time, I love <laughs> that you thought about it because here's the thing. With with me as a fan, I I tend I mean I can really nitpick stuff, but it's almost always going to be more like story character. Yeah, I, like the the universe is like I just accept it. Like that's how theirs works. It's like okay, uh, they can zoom through hyperspace, but they still have f- huge fucking call boxes. Darth Vader himself is a cyborg, but he has literally a calculator here. I think that all that. <laughs> Obi-Wan needed to do was punch a couple of those buttons and he'd be like, (laughs) you dick. Yeah. Let's play. You don't play fair. Your buttons are right there, buddy. I just shut (laughs) you down. Uh, Your breathing regulators is beep, boop, boop. I just shut you down. Not cool. Uh, (laughs) That's not cool. Uh, So there's, there's all kinds of goofiness, but I tend not to, overthink it because i just i'm i buy in you know i buy in but that is a smart way of doing it but to the extent that you you want to at least give it that much respect and that much thought that you don't try to apologize for for the you know the short-sightedness of 1970s sci-fi the thing that that caught me not off guard but it was such a small detail that i had to uh because of course jerry's a huge star uh, star wars fan and he and or he loved right off the bat yeah. we we're all a little because we watch these shows and we check in and like uh uh book of boba fett wasn't what i really wanted but there was some good in it yeah th- th- this had some good moments but 
you know, across the board, Andor is just amazing. So, but the thing that got me was not just that they captured the look, they made it even more real. The little detail that is in all of Andor, anytime they're on a ship or they're in the prison, uh, in those walkways, the tubes, and they're looking out the windows, the windows are smudged with grease, handprints, breath and that's Mm -hmm. the same in ships and i'm like going not even the original movies had that like you would imagine (laughs) that the millennium falcon had to have been pretty smeared no one's taking a windex to it but there's that scene where um luthan uh is that how you say his name stellan's character yeah is luthan yeah yeah and he's showing up to make his deal with Andor and he's just in that little shuttle. And that guy's like, what brings you here? And he's like, Oh, well, I'm salesman or doing a thing. And he's just looking out. And not only is that some of the best, like that's probably what it looks like when you're in a shuttle about to land in a place, just like the land, the land going underneath. I'm like, that just looks seamless. And like, that's real. Mm -hmm. But also what made it even more real was smudgy window. Like if you were in a bus, like a Greyhound bus and that smudgy window, I was like one, God bless you, sir. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and there were so many, so many touches. Like, and I, I didn't even notice the smudginess. That that's beautiful. And it's in it's in most of the places that aren't the high end. Anytime in that show, they're in a bar or a thing like that, or mm. they're on Ferrex. The windows of all the places, you're like going, that's what real windows look like. Yeah. And they're not like set director just put up a pl- piece of plastic. It's like, no, right. that's a smudgy glass window. I love it. Yeah. And there was that that scene too, which I think you were referring to earlier, where it's at the flashback scene in the final episode where Andor's remembering his adoptive father, and he's you see the scene he's he's washing this old equipment, kind of similar to the the bath that C three PO is in. Yeah, yeah. In the original film, like we, we got to keep this old stuff working because you know. Oh yeah, yeah. That's all we got. It's it's, and that informs the original trilogy as well it just it's all this beautiful the thing is uh, uh, my only problem with and it's not even a problem with andor it was a fear of with andor but I, i'm i'm okay with it but the idea that um making this so gripping so amazing but it's andor's story and i'm like does this take away from because cla- we had this talk where it's like because luke's hero's journey is essentially two weeks <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, where you're like yeah. going, I'm, he saved everybody, but he goes from being a farmer to a fledgling Jedi who blows up the Death Star in like two weeks. I'm like, does this mean Andor's a more heroic character because of all the struggles he went through and uh, and the way his character gets morphed and changed and all the sacrifices he made? I mean, Luke lost his aunt and uncle. And his mentor, but that's his mentor keeps showing up in his head. So he didn't even lose Obi-Wan. Hey, buddy, right. could you give me a few minutes? Cause I'm on the crapper. Hey, Hey, yeah. I love you. I love you. But could you give me a sec? Yeah, I'm not going to use the force right now. Just give me <laughs> Trust my your back. feelings. Look, it'll come on its own, buddy. Don't need any help. Any coaching. Luke, trust me. <laughs> Man. <laughs> but anyway, it it's all valid. It's all happening in the same universe and and Luke's story is the fairy tale that it should be. It's the rollicking adventure and rollicking adventure was happening at the same time really gritty shit was happening down on Ferrix and with the Saw Gerrera's killing 
people left and right. The rebellion's coming up on its own. Jerry's sitting there going, season two has to be about all those factions of the rebellion coming together finally. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it will. Because we're also sitting there going, where's redheaded lady from, you know, Solo? Where's her faction? And Saw Gerrera's faction and all these, you know, the rebellion needs to coalesce uh, because right now they are scattered. Yeah. And that there are some some of the the big big uh, fans who who are who remember what happened in Rebels. There's a scene in Rebels where, which I've heard before, I, I need to go back and rewatch that last season. I don't think I got or, past season one of Rebels. I oh, didn't. Okay. I it mean, gets, I, I liked Rebels. I, I just didn't like it as much as it, you know. Clone Wars was amazing. It's it is really good. It does have moments where it goes way too far. Filoni can be very indulgent with fan service sometimes. And it's goofiness, but they, they, there is there's a couple of turns they take where you're like, oh, you, god damn it, you did it. Uh, <laughs> they, they do some very silly stuff sometimes, but I I, I give them a pass because I, sometimes it just I'm not going to spoil it for you. There's one scene where they have there's somebody sings and it's 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 absolutely hilarious and it's the type of thing that Wait, normally it's wouldn't not work. B Arthur, right? They don't try no, to, <laughs> but it is almost that silly. And, and I know that they did it because they then they knew it was going to piss people off, but they did it anyway. And it, and then the moment's over, like it just kind of disappears. Anyway, but he does stuff like that sometimes. Um, but oh shit, where was I going with that? I don't I know. Sidetracked. Uh, we were talking me. about the rebellion coming together, okay, and yeah. you said there was a scene, and there's a scene, and that final season, I think, where uh, Mon Mothma, there's a message from Mon Mothma that's delivered. Uh, through a hologram, I think, to everybody. So people are saying, oh, are they going to show her doing that, giving that speech, you know, in real oh, live action? wow, that'd be cool. Maybe get towards the end, of, or maybe it could be the beginning of season two. I mean, season two could pick up where Rebels stops. Depends on where exactly they're going with that. But I, I mean, I would, even though I think it's nice that they, they're letting him have his own little chunk of the Star Wars universe, I mean, Gilroy, but it'd be really nice if they're still, you know, like, Floyd's like going, that would be like him going, Hey, you know, what we could work in. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm doing my own thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, but it's right there. It's right there. You could totally just slip it in. You can't imagine, I can imagine being in Tony Gurley's office. And it's like, uh, Dave Filoni's on the phone. Uh, I'm at lunch. <laughs> uh, so tell him that, uh, Oh, lost a kidney. Tell him I lost a kidney. No, I would assume there's probably a very friendly relationship because if sure. there's two people that are crazy for the same thing, it's those dudes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason that anyone ends up being a showrunner for a Disney Plus Star Wars show, it is not because they're just capable. It's they're mm. also fans. Just like with Marvel, they tend to get people in that are genuine fans uh, and good filmmakers. Well, apparently, unlike, unlike Filoni and... Um and Favreau. Favreau. Uh, Gilroy is, it was not as big of a fan of Star Wars really? as they were. Yeah. But wow. that I think has worked in his favor because he is still, as we can say, as we've been talking about, still incredibly respectful of the, the universe and the world that the stories take place. in. But he just doesn't feel beholden to tell yeah. the story in the same way. It doesn't feel like, yeah. it, it doesn't feel like he is um, beholden. It doesn't feel like, He's necessarily a fanboy, but he's just, I guess, that solid a storyteller where he's like, no, no, I, these themes of 
of people rising up against a fascist dictatorship I can speak to and Mm -hmm. it'll all work. It'll make sense. And it does. And I see people online with the Easter eggy things like rogue one here's Andor's coat. And he's got this little book attached. And I going, is that the, uh, uh, that kid's manifesto from the series? Does he, does he have that attached to his coat? And I'm like, Oh, that'd be cool if that's what that is. Yeah. The people are looking at Rogue One like going, oh, is it setting up things for Rogue One? I'm like, I don't know if you get to know Cassian that well in Rogue One, except for he's a good guy who gets a a kiss on the beach right before he dies. Not a bad (laughs) way to go, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I loved it. Should we talk about Black Panther? Uh, yeah, I, I want there's one thing I want to, uh, to, to mention about Andor before we move on. Oh, this is, shit. Here we go. This is, Here the, we yeah, go. This is the nerdiest <laughs> thing I'm going to say, but this is the fun. This is fun. <laughs> fun shit. Yeah. I don't really think they're going to do this, but they've been doing a lot of teasing, which mm. I think is very intentional teasing to fans such as myself that Luthen's character, there's been a lot of speculation online that he is either a Jedi who's in hiding or closely associated with the Jedi order. I think I saw that too. Because of uh, he's, there's some pretty obvious little hints they've been giving, which are maybe a little too on the nose if it's true, but he has that, (laughs) that walking stick thing that he carries. that looks like a lightsaber hilt. And in the first episode, you see him, he has a, it's a walking stick and it retracts like a lightsaber goes into it. And then there's that scene in that last episode, I think, the, la- the, the last time we see him with Saul Guerrero and the guy's you know, doing a security check on him. He takes the handle, he looks at it, and he goes, leave it alone and put it down. Or like, you know, stop messing with that thing. And it looks oh. like a lightsaber. It's not. but uh, that And that's weird. And then there's a lot of little things like uh, Val or Vel. I forget her name. Her, her, Val or Vel. And or at one point asks her when he's beginning the mission with her and he goes, He's he t- they're talking about Luthen and he goes, who is he? And he, and she, she says, he is something we will never discuss. Not someone, yeah, that's but right. something. Oh. And then there's also that scene where he's talking with, with his assistant, uh, Clea, which is very strangely similar to Leia. And he says, I've been, I've been hiding too long. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not slipping. I'm just, you know, she's, she's accusing him of kind of losing his focus. Mm. I've been hiding too long. And then in that, in that speech we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of little things he says that kind of seem to be very, you know, uh, subtle references to the Jedi way. Uh, I thought this series would avoid Jedi altogether. Right. But that's why I kind of don't want them to do that. But the, the hints are almost maddening. Like, ah, I share my dreams with ghosts. Yeah. yeah. Jedi's are dead. ah. Stuff like that. Cause he talks about, I I am condemned to condemned to use the, the tools of my enemy. The dark yeah. side. He's had to go to the dark side to to achieve what he's achieving. As a fan theory, I'm loving it. I don't but know. Jury's out till the till season two. Also, also, and this, I wouldn't have known this except for I think the they should mention Jedi. I know that they're going so far out of the way, but it's like you'd expect <laughs> someone just to go like, "What I wouldn't give for a whole bunch of Jedi to come in and take care of these people." Like, oh, the Jedi it's- are gone. They yeah. haven't said Jedi at all in Andor. It's or like, the that's Force, or any of that stuff. Yeah, I figured the Force wouldn't get mentioned, but come on. But and I, I wouldn't have known this, but the in his little curio shop, the antique shop that he runs, a lot of the stuff in the background 
there's a lot of Jedi Jedi uh, artifacts and stuff that he has. Like how, how do you know Jedi artifacts? How does anyone know Jedi artifacts? From people are nerds, Brendan. It's a thing. People are there's nerds. A mask. There's like a Jedi. When you are nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> there's. I'm not gonna. Okay, I'm not gonna go into what they I are. Mean, but I mean, he, he has a lot of Jedi stuff in the stuff background. In the it's like this old armorish kind of stuff, but I, it didn't scream Jedi to me. Not that I would have known. But They're what we call Easter eggs. At one point, didn't he mention Kyber something? Yes, that was the other thing. Thank you. That was the first, the, one of the very first clues. The fact that he has a Kyber crystal, and nobody ever says, "Oh, you know, you know the stuff they make lightsabers from." But yeah, they clearly yeah, know yeah. what it is. They're like, "You've got a Kyber crystal? What the hell?" Is that you know? what he gave Andor? Was a Kyber crystal? Was Kyber that crystal, the- yeah. Okay, because yeah. I remember a Kyber crystal being mentioned, it's, and they just must be worth a lot of money, whether yeah. or not you're a Jedi, because it's very like, rare. Oh, shit, man, I could sell that for. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and he also says like this is worth thirty thousand credits at least, but it's worth more to me than you will ever understand. That's another oh thing God. to throw in there. That like, sounds like it's such a giveaway. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking he's probably not a Jedi, but he was he. But he was plays one on TV. Yeah, <laughs> he was probably closely associated with him in some way, but exactly how I don't know. But we'll see. Uh, maybe he's. Um... Wasn't there a term for what the, the samurai guy was where they're like, he is this, which is a, a would be guardian samurai. of the wills, I think. Oh, oh, okay. A would be Jedi who's not actually a Jedi. Yeah, yeah. Either, yeah, I don't know. If, if they do, whatever it is, I have a feeling they're not going to reveal it until like right at the end of the season or right yeah, before his character dies. Yeah, one thing that, that pulls focus. This is not yeah. supposed to be a Jedi story, right. and I'm. And like you said, I would prefer it not to be one right. because Star Wars does not. That's one thing that is true is that it does not need to always be one. Yeah. It, this- it, I like the idea that Jedi's and the Jedi way is still something pretty unique and small. And if every adventure I ever see in that universe is someone discovering they're a Jedi, becoming a Jedi, then I'm like, well, then what's yeah, so unique? Enough. Yeah, right. That, right. It's like yeah. sometimes I want Supergirl and Crypto to be gone because Kal-El should be the only Kryptonian. <laughs> oh, snap. I'm going to get some blowback uh, from that. I know people. Yeah. No, I'm joking. I love Supergirl and Crypto. <laughs> but Last Son of yeah. Krypton should have some weight to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. The fact that's... that Jor-El is back in the comics and he's a dick. Did you know that? They brought Jor-El back? No, I, I know that well, there was a Superman 78 thing where he's... Well, yeah, there's that. That's not or... canonical. But in canon, right. Jor-El comes back. This is after John Kent, the son, is is like uh, is growing up. And Jor-El shows up. like, I got whisked out of uh, Krypton right before it blew up. It was in the fam zone. Hey, how's it going, kid? Hey, good to see my son. Is this my grandson? Uh, I'm going to take him on a trip in the universe and uh, I'll teach him what it means to be a real Kryptonian. Not like you, you dick. And Jor-El ends up being this uh, asshole old, not older guy, but he's, and he's the uh, one who takes John into space. And when he brings him back, uh, he's aged up. That was their way to age him up so that John Kent goes from being like eight in the comics. And he comes back and he's like 15. He's like, Hey, I'm now a teenage superhero and I'm by. And they're like, great. Well, we missed a lot of your life. That was awesome. Thanks, Grandpa. (laughs) uh, You know, space is weird. Time is weird out there. Thanks for having me. Bye. I think that was the end of Jor-El in the comics. I'm saying, thanks for having me. Bye. But I I didn't like the idea of him still existing and being a dick. Yeah. I don't like that. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying, that's that's the quibble I've had with Superman and, and uh, Superman and Lois. There's and and you know in Smallville too. There's just way too many Kryptonians showing up. Yeah. <laughs> um, just stop it. Oh, Supergirl did that too. The Supergirl series. Um, well, they made Mon L Kryptonian, didn't they? Or is he? Was did they, did they leave him a um, Daxamite? I stopped watching that show after a oh, while. Okay. I got really frustrated. I liked it in the beginning. I really did. But they, I, I, I couldn't. I, I watched the first episode and said, no, thank you, ma'am. Oh, yeah. It was too much of, look, I think the actress is great. And I think that she's, I, I like how they made her a very optimistic, wide-eyed, good person hero. But doesn't she deserve to have her own story instead of them basically grafting Clark Kent's story onto her? They yeah. put her in glasses. They make her work as a reporter. And I'm like, wait, that's not her story. She yeah. should have her own life. And, and then true. they bring in Jimmy Olsen and he's like, call me James. And I'm like, Oh, okay. All yeah, right. It's like, we're, we're just basically going to make it, make him completely different character from who he is. It in the seems comics. like the, even though it's not as gritty as Snyder, but it seems like the mandate when they were doing Superman projects, especially around that time with man of steel and Supergirl, the TV show was this cannot be your daddy's Superman. So whatever it takes, flip those characters, make them fresh. So it's like, yeah, Pa Kent is Kevin Costner and he has the worst ideas in the world. And <laughs> that because that's not your daddy, Superman. And here's uh here's Supergirl. She has her own life. She's a college student. She ends up being, you know, uh well, what did she end up being? Well, that's telling that I can't remember what her actual uh secret identity was for a long time. In the but she was not a you know, glasses reporter like her cousin. She had yeah. her own life. It's like, yeah. just do something else, but yeah. don't be like, we're uh, Jimmy Olsen, skinny nerd with a bow tie. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Look at this fine hunk of man. That is yeah. James Olsen. Who began, and this is the thing. This is where I started losing interest oh, in the show, Oh, they turned too. him into Guardian, didn't they? Yeah. It's like, I want to be a superhero, too. It's not fair. I can't have powers. You, hey, make me a suit. I did not guy. know <laughs> that you were this good of a mimic. Holy shit. You never told me you had an impression of that actor down like that. I want to be a superhero too. That was basically the sentiment of it. It was just so annoying. It's like, dude, it's Jimmy Olsen. He's he's a passionate photojournalist. He loves what he does. And the fact that Guardian has his own history and it was the Guardian was not a character that came along because everyone's being a superhero now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, give them a reason for becoming this or that. Ah, they screw with everybody. You watch a flash and you're like, that's not, that's not uh, a vibe. (laughs) I know vibe. That's not (laughs) Killer Frost. I know Killer Frost. Anyway, so let's talk about a very good movie that made me very sad. Okay. Oh, and let's also talk about, (laughs) no, it's a joke. (laughs) Wakanda Forever was amazing. It uh, pulled off an amazing feat which is how do you move past the death of an iconic actor? I do believe that roles can be recast, but I also understand them doing this because the loss of that young man, incredibly talented, who was so perfect for that role, I think they kind of made the right decision, even though a lot of people go in, no, give us T'Challa back. It's like, let I, T'Challa be the sacrificial lamb, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it, I enjoyed it. 
I really, and I, I, we can talk about Namor too. That that was another mm. separately separate issue there. But uh, I did feel like the thing, the thing about the film that that bothered me, it wasn't really so much that they didn't recast him. It was that they chose to give the lead role to Shuri, and it just felt weird to me. As as good of, and I think she's a, she's a fine actress, um, but she, she's she's a nerd who is at home in the lab being nerdy, and they gave her a lot. They put a lot on her shoulders in this film, and it just felt the film felt empty to me. Uh, it just That's didn't really weird. feel like there was that center wasn't there it's, for me. It's kind of true, but the the whole point of the movie was addressing that the center had fallen out and yeah. what what yeah, rises yeah. up to provide the support. And I thought strengthening all the characters, the only good thing, and and there's nothing that good that comes out of losing Chadwick Boseman. There's nothing good. Right. But the only good thing uh, story-wise is you are allowed that all these great secondary characters, his surrounding characters were great, in Black Panther, they they're always great. Angela Bassett, amazing. Uh, Winston Duke, Incredible. amazing as Mbaku. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't pronounce her name, but Okoye. All yeah. of them are amazing. Mm-hmm. And what you do is you allow them. Now they have a showcase, and you allow them to deal with their grief. You allow them to get stronger, and I do understand that is a big jump. I even said that to John. It's like. The, Shuri makes perfect sense keeping it in the family. And it also, Shuri has been Black Panther in the comics. So I'm like, okay. this isn't a weird idea. But the way she was portrayed, she was a lighthearted nerd. She was the kid's sister yeah. with the big yeah. brain. I think opening it with the grief, opening it with the funeral ceremony, you're basically watching her transform through the whole thing. She is not who she used to be. Mm-hmm. She is angry at the loss instead of being wounded by it. She's angry, which is why she sees uh, her cousin, why she sees Killmonger in the ancestral plane and not her brother or father uh, or her mother. So it's because of the anger. And that actually makes her her own character, her own Black Panther. She's dealing with that. So I do think and it doesn't sound like it was successful for you, which is totally legit. For me, it did work. I'm on the fence, yeah. I'm, and, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, and I think she ends up being an amazing heroine who is troubled. And and that is interesting because T'Challa was almost perfect, other than the fact that he couldn't commit to his love because he was like, well, I'm a prince and now I'm a king. I don't, And you're like, dude, just relax. And, <laughs> and now we've got, of course his son he <laughs> yeah. spoiler alert Chala jr oh yeah. man it's child jr uh toussaint uh i loved all that so for me that worked very well and also of course the very able script construction of creating a, a mirror kingdom that was what was brilliant about the way they introduced atlantis uh or talukan or whatever it's called talukan yeah um and I thought they handled that well. I'm such a nitpicky guy. This is what I said to John. John was actually surprised because we saw that together. We went to Jerry, me, John. I'm the nitpicky guy. Is like, well, you know, in the comics. Yeah. I didn't really have any notes. That is not, I didn't get Atlantis. I got Talukan. I got Namor, but got Namor with a bone through his nose. I mean, I mean, literally, there are all these little changes. Every one of them fit. 
Yeah. Marvel makes such good choices. When they change stuff, they change it intelligently. Yeah, yeah. Not arbitrarily. Yeah. And I think uh, the reason why it worked is that even though they, they changed the setting or the names and stuff with, with Namor's origin and his, his world, he's still pretty much the same character. He's the character. And he's there were dangerous. people. He's uh-huh. He's ruthless. You and know. he's smart. Yeah. The whole thing at the end, I know that there were, man, I just like John, John rails against this and it's true. Toxic fandom. I like to think we're not that me and you are, are <laughs> diehard older fans. No, I think, but we don't sit there going like, yeah. Fuck right. you. if we don't like it, we just don't like it. It's like, okay, well that was a missed opportunity in my opinion. It's like, sure. Oh, that's my opinion. Sure. But, uh, toxic fandom where they're like going, I can't believe they introduced Namor, one of the most powerful Marvel, and they have him get defeated by a little girl. And I'm like going, fuck you people. That was one of the best scenes in the movie was that fight. I love that fight was that amazing. And then yeah. him, him, you know, like, okay, I accept your terms and backing off. That would have been like, oh, well, of course she has to win. It's Black Panther's movie. And also that would have been true in the comics too, by the way. If if there's ever like a hero versus hero in the comics, whoever comics it is, they're the one who wins. <laughs> Daredevil has beaten the, the Hulk team. in the right. comics because yeah. it was an issue of Daredevil, and right. Daredevil figured out some way to beat the Hulk. So don't don't come whining at me about these things. But they make <laughs> up for it. Coogler has that great scene where he's healing. It's at the end of the movie. He's got the bandage around his ankle because the wing is growing back, and mm. uh, Namora comes in and is like. I'm really disappointed in you, dude. You you totally bowed to her. And, and he's like going, don't you get it? And then mm-hmm. he lays out his fourth dimensional chess idea. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's Namor. He's yeah. brilliant. And he's yeah. always thinking about what benefits my people. What benefits my people is when the world comes after them, they still don't know about us. But when the world comes after them, they have nobody to turn to but, but us. us. Yeah. And, we, and no one can come at Wakanda and Talakan and when and it's like yeah. you are fucking namor i can't wait for you to meet susan storm and get all kinds of inappropriate with her <laughs> boom my and only the green shorts and the, the scene of him flying around and taking yeah. out ships and stuff oh, like, i love that fuck yeah, yeah. i love namor's that. Are like i had to explain to people I'm like you guys don't understand you might be like oh that's marvel's aquaman I'm like that is the first marvel superhero hmm. marvel comics number one 1939 Namor the Submariner and the Human Torch, the Android one. They're the first Marvel superheroes before Captain America and all that. So you give Namor the proper respect, god damn it, that's is what right. I said. Then I kicked some shit over. <laughs> I was asked to leave. Regal Cinemas now has banned me. <laughs> well, um, also I had brought in like a full pizza and they were like, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, it's my laptop. Uh and this this goes into the nitpicky uh, category. I'm but, ready. I'm ready. But I, I I love the first scene. We we kind of see him where he's in the dark and the, he's, his people are attacking the on the, the ship and so forth. Yeah, you just barely see him. I love that. And then I thought they would wait a little longer before they actually reveal him. And then in the next scene, he just kind of shows up. Hey, it's a nice place you got here. Yeah, yeah I, actually, just, I I love that he's. Uh, they're having this very, you know, tense mother daughter moment at the river, and he just sort of like pokes up and is like, "Hey, How's it hey, going? <laughs> hey, you guys, are you making s'mores?" I thought that was a weird thing because uh, 
I mean, I get that you can get hungry, you know, swimming that fast, but then asking these women he's never met if they're making s'mores. <laughs> yeah. No, I so just thought it all worked very well. Angela yeah. Bassett, that was the one that shocked me because I was like, they're not going there, are they? And this movie, because we're already dealing with so much loss. Yeah. And then we lose her too. Yeah. Spoiler alert, by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen Wakanda forever. <laughs> all right. By the way. Yeah. Um, but it was well done, well handled. And I wish, and that there, this was, there were so many problems with Rise of Skywalker, but this was one of the things that made that film really awkward is that they were faced with the same conundrum with a main major actor dying who had a major role, supposed to have a major role in the last film. How do we handle this? We can recast or we can kill our character off before the movie starts. Or <laughs> they came up with a third option, which I think was not use, the way to go. Use some discarded scenes and also have a CG version of her uh, fly through space. Yeah. But, Using the force. Oh, well, that was in Last Jedi. Oh, was that in Last Jedi? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, that, that they could have killed her there. <laughs> they could have, actually. They could have just not had her survive that incident, but... That, but that's okay. they knew that fans would be like, we can't lose Luke and Leia, bing, bang, boom. Like and that. Akbar, all in one. Oh. <laughs> that was one of the things that Ryan did that pissed me off. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Akbar's dead. Anyway, like, wait, what? Look, it was, it was a trap, <laughs> okay? It was a trap. I think that they should have done, I mean, like I said, the, the movie still would have been horrible if this is the only thing they did differently. But they should have had Leia be killed off screen beforehand and not done what they did because it was just so distracting. It was a weird Frankensteinian thing that this person on screen you knew wasn't there, was not interacting with the actors at all. It was, I don't know. It it It, was just very strange. It was strange. I'm not, I mean, I don't envy anyone having to deal with that. At least Coogler, Coogler was going into, I mean, he he did have it already written pre Chadwick Boseman's death and had to rewrite, but still that was still pre-production. So he still was able to, and I thought it handled all of that very well. And good Lord, was there emotion in the theater. Um, Literally from the opening, which is just the Marvel logo with no music, and you're just seeing all the Chadwick Boseman footage in the letters like they normally do. There was a woman in the theater. I just heard her just go. (gasps) Yeah. And it's like they were instantly crying. And so it was hardcore. And they hit every emotional moment of it i thought really well kugler is such a good director man mm-hmm. so you're you didn't enjoy it as much as i did sounds like no i, I liked it i just i just uh it just felt a little it felt empty I and mean, maybe this was unavoidable it felt empty and at times to me and i just I felt, think there's a little bit of that that's not, I, I, I thought iron heart was was a fine introduction but i i do think she didn't get enough if if you're introducing a character that was like it was I, like it was like a Black Widow in Iron Man Two. Sure, it's like she's I, I in there. Her. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That I, I enjoyed her, but I was like, I know we're getting more of her, so it's like it's yeah, not, we we just don't get a lot of her here. Right. But she's got her own little thing coming up, and uh, and she'll like be in Armor mention- Wars, and she'll be probably in Young Avengers when they get around to doing that. Yeah, Kate Bishop and her and Ms. Marvel, and oh, I, I can't wait. I, I kind of like that they didn't they didn't mention Tony Stark at all in reference to her, which they looks did, like they she, have a different origin and from the comics, right? She's not. Well, associated. she's still inspired by him. You can tell because sure, sure he does like look at her blueprints and goes, "Is this Stark tech?" 
Oh, that okay. was the only mention. She goes, is okay. Star Tech? She goes, no, that's me. Yeah. Okay. But clearly she has made an arc reactor on her own at what? 18. Riri yeah. Williams. That's why I'm saying they didn't get into her enough. We don't really know what her origin is other than she's just a brilliant college student. Yeah. I would have liked them to show her at like eight looking at Iron Man on TV and going like, yeah, man, I could do that. Da, da, da. Yeah. But still, she's a great character. They'll get there. It was awesome to have her in it. And I did like the whole like ladies are doing it for themselves. You've got Okoye up there in her midnight angel armor and you've got uh, Iron Heart in her armor and you've got Black Panther uh, versus all those blue people. All those blue people. <laughs> One yeah. of my favorite death scenes in, in cinema history is in that movie where the Atlanteans, uh, the Talakonians, show up on that bridge. First time they've made their public appearance and they're coming after him. Um, and they start walking towards that cop and you hear a cop go, hey, is she blue? <laughs> and then he gets killed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they instantly kill those police officers. I just love that someone's last words on this earth are, hey, is she blue? <laughs> there was another funny line too, with with after Namor's first scene with with uh with with Shuri and, and her mom. I forget her mom's name. Uh uh Ramon Ramon Bass's character, yeah. Her, yeah, Ramon's, anyway. After he leaves, she, she goes, do you see the wings on his ankles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In case you missed it, folks. You know? Yes. Those really are wings on his ankles. The, the whole idea. was a strange line. Yeah. Uh, of course, the mutants thing. I'm like, yeah, bring that in. They're talking mutants. And he's much older. I mean, the idea that he has been around since the 17th century, apparently. I'm like, fuck yeah. I love that. That means he's done a really good job of keeping Talakon under wraps. No one knows about that shit. But also them tying him into, you know, Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent. And like, yeah, of course, he would have become this legendary figure. And I'm like, yeah, the, that makes the wings on the ankles actually kind of work. Yeah. I yeah. thought they would. I thought literally years ago when I, you know, like if they ever do a Namor movie, I was like, they'll get rid of the wings on the ankles. They'll just have them fly. They're not going to do that. And here they gave us wings on ankles unabashedly. They're like, no, look at him fly around. Guess mm-hmm. how he's flying. Yeah. That is a, a perfect example of like what you say, why Kevin Feige and his team and all these guys are so great at this, that they, they work in yeah. the classic stuff in a way that still works. It, it's. Yeah. Uh, Again, it, they, they kept, as you said, they kept it so true to the character that all of that, and it does, I don't want to speak to how accurate they were because I can't know my ancient Mayan culture or whatever, but the idea that they just said, no, we're just transposing it. And what you thought of as Atlantis is just a sunken city uh, in South America. It's like, this is a whole other culture. And it still is Marvel Comics Atlantis. You still have Atuma. He's still blue. You have Namora. She's still blue. They are still swimming around underwater with gills. I'm like, that's what I want. When they come up on land, they'll have little water masks on. That happens in Marvel Comics. I love it. Except for him, he's the guy who can live on either. And he was the first of their kind. Love this shit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was uh, I was clapping. I just, I'm, I was, I love Namor. Yeah. No one I, ever called him the Submariner. I was a little disappointed that because I always. I bet you that's for, coming, though. Yes. <laughs> I bet you it's coming. Somebody's uh, going to say it. They're like, well, we, we've codenamed him. 
Submariner. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Submariner, when yeah. uh, my brother used to call him. Right. Um, but when uh, uh, I look for Easter eggs, as every nerd does, and Lake Bell, you know, the actress Lake Bell, she's at the beginning of the movie. She is the lady scientist who finds the vibranium. Oh, okay. Yeah. That they come after her. She has the underwater, you know, device. So she's a scientist lady. And she's a good actor and she's been in things. I'm like, well, she'll have to be an important character. And then they just kill her in a helicopter. I was like, <laughs> what? For half a second, I was like, ooh, because my brain goes there. Um, Submariner, Namor had a human surface dwelling romantic interest, like in the 40s, right off the bat. And she was a female cop. And her name was like Betty something or other. I can't remember her full name. I was like, ooh, please let this be her. Like, Maybe she survived. Maybe he's like, I trust you. I don't trust anybody else. It's like, oh, give me that. And then yeah. I realized I'm the only person in these United States who is thinking that, looking at Lake <laughs> Bell going, maybe she's <laughs> playing that character in the 1940s. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, yeah. they said, sir, yeah, we'll, refund you the, we'll refund the cost of your ticket, but you must leave. <laughs> um i unfortunately i i hope this i hope they can work this out but i i saw something that the the intellectual property of namor has the same oh yeah tape that hulk has yeah Uh, i don't know if it's the same companies that own the rights but they can't legally right now make a standalone namor film i thought it was because namor was included in the Fantastic Four bundle of rights that uh, Fox had. Yeah, that must not be it because obviously they own Fox now. So I, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, I don't know. I, but I, I did hear that. that. It's like, like oh, that's, that's why they can't have a solo Namor film. Yeah, I think they can. They just can't call it that. It's always just about the title. They could have had a Hulk movie, but they had to have called it like Gamma Rage. Right. And in the movie, he can be called the Hulk. The movie just cannot be called the Hulk. Right. I think okay. that's what the rights are. Is that what it is? Are, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they, they worked out. I mean, the, the fact that what they did with Spider-Man um, is amazing. If, if they managed to negotiate uh, like a partnership. That, yeah. Yeah. They, they can. Hopefully they can figure that something happened, out. Anything can happen. Yeah. I don't know. Did you remember? Remember that whole thing where they said, oh, no, now the deal is falling apart. There's not going to be another Spider-Man movie. And. I was that, worried that went on for months and then they finally came back and said, Oh no, everything's fine. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I know this is not going to cast me in a very good light, but it seriously depressed me and I was scared. Yeah. yeah. I felt the need to reach was- out and like get a hug from people <laughs> again on public transportation, which was a mistake. <laughs> Can you read my mind? <laughs> Surely you've heard now about the Spider-Man news. Will you hold me? <laughs> my my stop isn't for another couple of blocks. Hold me. <laughs> but it, it did all work out, and we're all very lucky because, come on, how great was uh, you know No Way Home? Uh, and now now we got Daredevil coming, and please, and they announced that uh, that what's his name who played Foggy and Debran Wall who played. Uh, Karen are also going. Yeah, to are? Back. Okay, yeah. I know there's some That's certainty whether whether Karen Page was coming back. They got them back. Movie. They've of course Vincent Nofrio is there, uh, right. and they've announced two new women cast members. They haven't said what characters they are, so it could be that they're you know I don't know. Uh, 
actually, if they're doing Born Again, the storyline from the comics, which it won't be, but it'll be some version. Yeah, they already kind of did that on Netflix a little bit. Yeah, they've already. Yeah, they already had Nuke. Yeah, give yeah, me a red, so give me a white. That's the, the big question: is like, well, how much of the of that Daredevil is this? Is it? Is it? Well, I have a feeling Shango. it will be the storyline of of exactly Wilson Fisk exposes his identity and drags him down as a revenge yeah. and okay. and sends him on a spiral and then but i also hear it's not going to be as dark because it's like this isn't netflix's daredevil so i'm like i don't know yeah. either way I'm, I'm happy these same people are back because daredevil was a shining star of the netflix yeah. run so i'm good. a little bit concerned just because i didn't really like what they did with with kingpin in the uh the hawkeye Ish. show it was just, he was just a little clownish from where what he was well, before. I mean, the whole thing of, of even though they did have him have his intimidation scenes in the white suit which I, and the ascot, I mean, they literally gave him his cane with the diamond. They gave him all of that for those scenes. But when he's like tearing up the place and throwing Hawkeye around, I'm like, it's hard to take him seriously in a big Hawaiian shirt, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, but stuff I did like that love like, that it was that uh-huh. physical because I do love them emphasizing like, you realize that Wilson Fisk, even though he's this enormous fat guy, it's like he's a man mountain that can literally pick someone up and throw them through a wall. So it was kind of cool that they're giving you a little bit of both. It's like, yeah, it is the same actor who can bring the same intensity, but we're also leaning towards the comic. Like, yeah, he's, he's going to actually be punching people. In addition to just sitting there going, I'm going to take him down. I'm going to make sure he does. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see. And if they bring back Mike Coulter as Iron uh, as Iron Fist, as Power Man, as Luke Cage, uh, I'm there. And of course, I mean, I thought Jessica Jones, come on. All those people were well cast. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I really hope they do this. That they, I know there's talk, although never being Spider Man, you know, uh, Tom Holland will never be on Disney Plus, but that character is in such a, such a perfect place now to interact with Daredevil. You know, I know. Nobody know he doesn't have any friends. He's just living on his own in New York. It would be so great to have that have it be run through one record. of the seasons. Like he just he keeps seeing this person watching him or something. Is that who I think it is? <laughs> and they might, of course, wind up working together. That please go there. It would be so. Well, the awesome. thing I always loved in the comics was like when they first were meeting. It was always, uh, how do you know who? I, it's like your heartbeat. <laughs> it was like Daredevil just knew. It's like, how do you know? It's yeah. like, no, I just, he's literally picking him out of the crowd going, that extremely accelerated, that's not a human. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, and then the whole gag about, hey, man, do you know that your costume is yellow and red? It's goofy looking. <laughs> and what, yeah. What, what, what I would mind? No one puts yeah. a suit together <laughs> like that. What I'm, I'm curious to see how they, if they do bring, I'm sure they're going to meet, the characters are going to meet at some point. Uh, and the whole thing with Dr. Strange having erased. Right. But I mean, going in now, in just going forward. Yeah. I mean, going forward, because he's already, you know, he served as his lawyer. Yes. But uh, that, you know, after the the spell that's cast at the end of that movie, does, yeah. does, does Matt Murdock remember that case? Or does he just not remember? Who, who, you know, is this, how was that? There's a lot of, forget Peter Parker. They didn't, yeah, they didn't forget Spider-Man, but they, they, they just forgot his. Then I guess he wouldn't remember that case at all. Yeah. Peter remembers. That's, that is weird. 
So they have to, if they do meet, they, and, and if that situation has been the resolved. Only problem with, the only problem with No Way Home's ending is that just like with the snap and the blip and all that, every writer after has to sit there and literally figure this out. Like, wait, yeah. wait. Yeah. Oh, shit. This is being like their first meeting, but they, oh, shit. I had so yeah. many good ideas for, oh. <laughs> God damn it, Sam Raimi. Okay. No, because No Way Home wasn't him. It wasn't? No. Wait. Sam Raimi was Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm getting those two mixed up. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Stop getting them mixed up. I've told Who's you this I, before. Who was the guy who directed? It was He did all three of those Spider-Man films, right? Uh, good guy, Mr. Man. Oh, Hold yeah. on. Um, I have it right here, actually. Is he, there, was, there were rumors that he was going to do, do Fantastic Four next. Although, I don't know if that's still Why does it have to be true. so dark? And why are my eyes so bad now? I hate being an old dude. I literally can't read that. God, oh. I... Anyway. I hate it, but it was great. I enjoyed it. That's why oh, I own it. I think we should wrap this up. We should wrap that this up a... because you know what? I'm hungry now, and you've yeah, uh, me talked to me all the way into uh, lunchy time. Lunchy so, time. Take care of yourself. Don't get uh, COVID. All right. Well, don't all go right. anywhere yet. We're oh, going to stop shit. it. God damn it! <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>